series. We're going to be talking about this subject matter for about a month, for about four Sundays, four weekends. And um, so we're not going to cover everything tonight, so just hang, hang tight. You're probably going to have some questions after tonight. I'm going to say, hey, stay with us. We're going to answer these questions. It's, it's too big of a subject. It's too broad to unpack it all in about 25 minutes. But there's a question that is going to hover over this series. And that question is a question I introduced last week. What happens one minute after you die? That, what a question. I read a book a number of years ago by a man named Erwin Lutzer. I'm actually going to quote him later in the, in the service. But his book was called that, titled, One Minute After You Die. It's a fascinating question. It's a question that I'm going to assume with great confidence that not a one of us in this room has, uh, has uh, never wondered about. It's a question. Maybe you haven't said it just like that, but, but you have contemplated it. You have, you, you have contemplated what, what comes next. Our society has a, a weird fascination with the afterlife. It does. It's got a weird fascination with death. Um, in fact, that fascination rears its head in, in, in great detail every Halloween. I don't know what it is about Halloween time, but, uh, but this country kind of goes nuts with this kind of stuff. I mean, uh, I mean uh, let's face it, it's during Halloween that the scariest movies of the year get released, don't they? And they always have to do with death and, and, and demons and all of those things. If you to drive around most neighborhoods during Halloween, you're going to see uh, goblins and ghosts as normal fixtures in people's yards. At least that's what I see every Halloween. Um, stores like Walmart, Target, costumes, all, they, they start unpacking all of these creepy looking, all this creepy looking stuff. And, and they, uh, they stock their shelves with, with knives, with fake blood on them, and grim reaper costumes, and many other things that just represent this idea of death and the afterlife. And my question is, what's the fascination with all of this? I mean, that's, that's a great question. I mean, what's this preoccupation that our country especially has with what lies beyond the grave? Why, why do so many people desire to get a peek behind the veil? And what I mean by that, if the veil is death, why do we want so badly here to get a peek on the other side of that, that veil? Now, I, I mentioned this a second ago, I want to ask it a little bit clearer this time. Is there anyone in this room tonight who has never thought about what happens after you die? Just like I thought, none of you. Because we've all thought about it, we've all wondered what exists beyond the grave. So our world has this weird fascination, and you see it all over the place. I mentioned Halloween, but it's, it's all throughout the year. In fact, if you're just to turn on your TV or you're going to go through your channel guide, you're going to see plenty of TV shows out right now that have to deal with, with this afterlife or ghost or things beyond the grave. Um, if you were to look up NBC's playlist, you're going to see that one of their top-rated shows right now is this show called The Good Place. Have you heard of this show? Uh, have, have any of you seen this? Nobody really wants to admit it. Like, have, have we seen this, honey? Do we admit that? Do we admit it in church? Have we seen this show? You know, I, I, I've seen little clips of it. I, I haven't seen in it, but I've read about it. 
This is one of their top shows right now, and um, I, I'm not here dogging the show at all. I just want to point out that our world has a fascination with it, and our entertainment industry um, absolutely capitalizes on our fascination with the afterlife. This show um, is about a lady who wakes up, the very first episode, and she, she opens her eyes and she wakes up in a waiting room, and this waiting room um, has a sign on the wall that says, The Good Place, and she realizes that she's dead. And, and this is her afterlife. In fact, the entire show is about the afterlife. And so she meets a guy named Michael, who is the architect of The Good Place. And as you might suspect, there is a good place and there is a bad place. And what she realizes, the whole premise of the show is, the way she lived her life, she was not a good person. There's some mistake. She's supposed to be in the bad place. But Michael made a mistake. He mislabeled her, and he led her in the good place. And so the whole show is about how she tries to become a better person in the afterlife. Did you ever think that they could ever make a show like this? But that's one of their top-rated shows right now. But if you just look through shows that have been around for a while, some are on now, some have been on, they're all about, about ghosts and goblins and stuff. You know, let me just rattle off a few that maybe you've heard of. There's a show called Ghost Hunters, and um, these, this is a group of people that they go out and, um, and, and they just try to connect with ghosts and find ghosts. There's another show called Ghost Adventures. They will find out um, if this place is rumored to be haunted, and this group will go in and they will spend the night in that haunted place, and these people will actually try to contact and communicate with whatever spirit is so-called haunting that place. There's another show that's real similar to that one out of England called Most Haunted. This lady is a psychic, and it's about a psychic lady who, who goes in and she tries to make contact with, with the dead in these quote-unquote haunted places. And of course, all of us say, yeah, is that real or not, or whatever. We're going to talk about some of that stuff. There's another show called Ghostly Encounters, and this this is about a man who claims to be like a medium. He can communicate with the dead. And so he's, his specialty is connecting with famous people who have died. That's what he promotes on his show. There's another show called Paranormal State. These are all kind of the same kind of shows. But why are these shows so popular? Why do the people keep coming back all the time to watch these things? Because we're fascinated with this stuff. Some of the most popular movies that have come out um, over the years have been about these kind of things. Have you seen the movie The Sixth Sense with Bruce Willis? I see dead people. You know, okay, so you've seen me. All right. That movie freaked me out when I watched it, okay? And yes, I did not know how it ended. And then at the very end, it was like, oh my goodness. That movie was huge. Did you see the Patrick Swayze Demi Moore movie called Ghost? No, you ladies have seen it. I know, admit it. Because you're secretly in love back in the day with Patrick Swayze. And I guarantee, well, I won't go there. All right, so I, I almost put my foot in my mouth. Thank you, Lord. One of my favorite movies, and call me weird for liking it, this is an old movie. But have you seen the movie Always starring Richard Dreyfuss? Remember that one? He's like a pilot, and he fights fire, and he saves his friend, but he dies in the process. But instead of going to eternity, he gets sent back to be a guide to another pilot who ends up falling in love with the woman that Richard was in love with. And I mean, great movie, all right? But we're fascinated with this kind of stuff. That's just... That's just who we are. There's, there's something about 
the afterlife. There was a movie that came out based on a book that was said to be true called Heaven is for Real. Remember that? It's a little bit more recent about a little boy who, who, who thought he went to heaven and came back and wrote a book and made a movie about it. Matt Damon starred a couple years ago in a, in a movie about the afterlife called Hereafter. I mean, I could, I could rattle these movies off over and over and over. Why are we so fascinated? You know, Larry Gordon is a movie producer with Largo Entertainment. He said something one time that caught my attention. And I thought maybe this is why they make movies like this. He said, people are looking for something that makes them feel good. We all want to believe that death isn't so bad. Isn't that a fascinating insight from somebody who makes these kind of movies? We all want to believe that death isn't so bad. So what I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to paint for you that our society is fascinated with this stuff. They make TVs, movies about it. And I think the underlining current with some of this stuff, not just besides the fact that it sells well, but there is this desire in people to want to feel good about what is inevitably going to come to all of us. We want to have good feelings about that. And so I think sometimes some of the stuff on TV, that's its intended purpose, or at least it helps people feel good. But I want you to know, and what I want to try to make very clear through this series is several things that, that I hope is clear, but if it's not clear, I want to make sure it's clear. That when you pass away, you do not get to come back as somebody's guide. I know that without a doubt. I also know this, that when you die, you do not get to communicate with those who are still alive. I know that. Erwin Lutzer, who I, who I mentioned just a moment ago, he said this in the introduction of his book titled One Minute After You Die, and I think he nails it. He says, and this is hard, hard to receive, but he says, one minute after you slip behind the parted curtain, you will either be enjoying a personal welcome from Christ or catching your first glimpse of doom as you have never known it. Either way, your future will be irrevocably fixed and eternally unchangeable. You know, I hate to break this news to you. It's really not breaking news. But we are all going to pass away. That is a fact that we will never be able to escape. Unless Jesus were to come back early. If he were to come back right now, then everyone in this room would escape dying. But if, if the Lord takes his time... And we do know the Lord is patient, and that's a good thing. If the Lord takes his time, we are all going to pass away. It is inevitable. And while your relatives will plan your funeral after you pass away, and they'll be making decisions on what kind of casket that they want to bury you in, and picking your burial plot, and deciding which family members and friends are going to be your pallbearers, while all that is going on, you will be more alive than you have ever been. That's what the Bible teaches. You'll be more alive. And you'll either at that moment, you'll be in the presence of God and with all of his angels and the believers who have died before you. Or we will be in a nightmare of gloomy isolation with the full weight of guilt and abandonment all around us. But it won't be just a nightmare because nightmares come and go. It will be a reality fully aware of what's happening. 
And there is no destination between those two extremes. And it will be impossible to leave the nightmare and go be with God. I heard about a cemetery that contains this tombstone with this epitaph on it, engraved. It was this short little poem. It says, pause, stranger, when you pass me by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. So prepare for death and follow me. Now my understanding, a number of years later, somebody walked past that tombstone and read that, and they actually scratched this into it. To follow you, I am not content until I know which way you went. All right, so interesting. I don't know if I'm ready to follow that guy. You know, the purpose of this sermon series is really simple. It is to study what the Bible says about what happens when you pass away. That's the whole goal here. We want to educate. We want to learn. We want to know what it says. And I think that many of you who hear and are going to participate in these next few sermons, I think you're going to engage in this topic, and I think many of you are going to be greatly comforted by it. There's plenty of good news to go around when discussing what the Bible says about the afterlife. This is not a scary subject. However, I think others of you may be challenged through this sermon series to get real with your faith as you contemplate the reality that does absolutely lie ahead of us. I think many of us will be comforted and others will be challenged. Both are good things. At the end of the day, I hope that I can clearly instruct you as a church family. I pray, and I hope you'll pray for me, that throughout this series, that I can make heaven so inviting that you can hardly wait to get there. I hope I can do that. I also pray, and I hope you'll pray, that I can make hell so fearsome that those who might be here who are not ready to die will quickly make Jesus the leader of their life and shield themselves from what is to come. Everyone must confront the reality what happens when we pass away. And there have been plenty of people over the years who have tried to answer that question without the Bible. It's amazing to me how many people try to answer this with absolutely no certainty, but they speak about it as if it is certain. So if you were to remove God's word from the discussion, let me tell you what you have left. Here are some of the most popular answers to what happens when you die when you exclude the Bible. There are those who will say that when you die, it is simply over. Anybody have any friends that believe that? When you die, it's just over. We're no different than the animals. When we die, we take our last breath on earth, and that is just it. We go into eternal sleep. We never wake up. It's like a forever coma, and it's just over. I cannot think of a more depressing end. I cannot imagine living my life with that hope out there. But it's a real reality for people who believe this. Here's another way they try to describe. Many people have said when you remove the Bible that uh, we just start life over. There's a popular word for that, reincarnation. There are plenty of people. There are religions that teach this. 
that we just come back and we do a life all over again. We may come back as a plant. We may come back as an animal. We may come back as another person, um, something like that. But it's not over. You just start over. There are many people who believe you just live life after life. Some religions teach that you just keep living these lives over until you reach that perfect place, nirvana. I don't know. If that were true and you came back as a slug, what would you think? Like, I don't know. Like, Some people believe that we turn into ghosts and we float around haunting people. You come up with that conclusion, I think, when you remove the Bible out of the discussion. Some people believe that we turn into spirits and that you can actually, your loved ones who are still in the world can contact you in the spirit world. And there are people who believe that they are channeling these conversations. You come up with those kind of things when you remove the Bible. Many people do want to believe that there is a heaven-like place, but fewer want to believe that there is a hell-like place. So without the Bible, people want to believe that there's a great thing. There is a, like the TV show, a good place where good people go and have a good time. But there's no foundation of Scripture there. Now, there have been other ways that people try to get a peek behind the veil. And um, there are those who will say that they've had a near-death experience. And they'll come back and say, listen, I, I got a glimpse of heaven. And they'll describe heaven. You know, Michael Landon is a name you might be familiar with. He was the star of the old TV show Bonanza and Little House on the Prairie. Okay, he's Pa. And uh, I, I love Little House on the Prairie. Joe just adds nothing to do with this. I'm just letting you know that. I love Little House in the Prairie. It's one of those things you're flipping channels. Like, oh, Little House is on. Call me weird. But it was reported that, uh, I do. But it was reported that when Michael Landon was on his deathbed, he confided in friends that he saw a bright white light. And that bright white light helped ease his fears and it made him look forward to what was awaiting him. And when he died, his friends were like he was calmly anticipating what he was considering quite an experience to come. Some people would call that a near-death experience. I don't know. There, you go to any bookstore and you're going to find multiple books of people who have these detailed accounts of near-death experiences or having visions or of like, I got a peek into heaven and this is what heaven is like. And a, and a question that must be asked when we're talking about the afterlife, because you're going to encounter this with people you talk to, is, is that something that we can trust? Can we trust a near-death experience as a valid description of what happens when you die? And I, I want you to know that's a tough question to answer. I definitely have an opinion on it, but I know right here in our community there are people who who have had these experiences before, I'm going to be the last guy to ever question a personal testimony of somebody who, who makes a claim like this. I do know this, that oftentimes somebody who has an experience like that, it does make them walk closer with God. There, there, is, a, there is a desire to live more like God after that experience than before. Here's what I do know. 
And what I'm about to share with you, this is not saying that I'm for or against those kinds of things, so that's not what I mean. But if you just look at the Bible and what it says, there were a couple of people that maybe had near-death experiences themselves. We know that the very first Christian martyr, his name was Stephen, and he was stoned to death. They pelted him with rocks till he died. And then, you know, right before he died, he looked up while he was still alive, and he saw Jesus at the right hand of God. So was that a near-death experience? I don't know. He was near death, and that was an experience. So, um, you know, he saw something. You know, Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 12, 4, caught up in paradise. What was he seeing? What was he getting a glimpse of? Um, if Stephen saw the Lord before he died, and if Paul died and was caught up in paradise, you know, is it possible for believers today to have those same kind of experiences and visions? Honestly, that's not for me to say. Um, but the question is, is a near-death experience an accurate reflection of what lies beyond the grave? You know, one of the challenges, I think, with near-death encounters or the, the accounts of what they saw is oftentimes these testimonies, they are inconsistent and they contradict each other. And it does make me wonder, if that really was a glimpse of heaven, why aren't they all consistent? Why aren't all the snapshots the same? Just questions. I don't really have answers for that. Um, I think what Stephen and Paul experienced was a time when God was still supernaturally revealing himself to people. This was before the completion of the scriptures. He revealed himself in many ways. Now that we have a completed Bible, do we also need near-death experiences to teach us what is going to come next? Well, that's not for me to say, per se. So I have questions about all of that. But is there any truth in them? What do they teach us? And I guess this is, here, this is where I land. I've, I've looked at a number of accounts of these things. These near-death experiences don't teach us anything that we don't already know. And here's what we already know, is that the Bible tells us that um, the soul and the body are not eternally linked. Now, oftentimes these near-death experiences, I left my body and I was caught up into something. Well, that just kind of confirms what the Bible says, that our soul will separate from our bodies at death, the body will die, but the soul will live on. And that's very, very clearly taught in Scripture. We're going to look at some of that throughout this series. So your body dies, but your soul lives on. So if there's a truth that I want you to remember tonight as we move on this series, that this body that, you're, that you live in right now, it will not last forever. Can I get an amen? amen. It's not going to be around. It's not going to be with you forever. But your soul... That's right. Your soul, it's eternal. Who you are. That goes on. Now, many others have tried to get a peek beyond the veil um, by visiting what is commonly known as mediums or sorcerers. They want to make a connection with the dead and, and by seeking out a loved one who has passed away. There's people who will testify that they've experienced through a medium or some kind of channeling experience that they actually did connect with that loved one who had deceased years ago. This is a huge subject, but let me just say two things about it and move on. Demons are excellent impersonators. 
I don't have time to get into all that tonight, but just remember, this is my, my take on my understanding of angels and demons in the spirit world. Demons are incredible impersonators. And yes, I believe that mediums are conduits to demons whose sole purpose is deception. And it makes sense to me, and I hope it makes sense to you, that demons are trying to get, as agents of the devil, are trying to get you to believe something that really isn't happening and convince you that it's the right way in order to keep you from the right way. That's my first thought on it. My second is this. Mediums, sorcery, channeling, psychics, all of those things... God absolutely condemns that practice of trying to connect with the dead in Scripture. Let me show you where. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 10 through 12 says this. Let no one be found among you who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft or casts spells, or who is a medium or spiritist or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. So these innocent little Ouija boards that we have at home that we think are just fun, they're not fun in games. They're dangerous things. If you have those things in your home, I strongly recommend that you throw them away. There's lots of opinions about what happens at the moment of death, but I'm here to tell you tonight that what happens the moment you die is not nearly as important as what you choose while you are still alive. So I want to share with you some reality text tonight. I'm going to call it just reality scripture. Reality text that I believe every Christian should know that is going to set up this series for us. And the first one I want to share with you is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. And I'm going to rapid fire these at you. They're going to be at the screen. They're also on the uh, newlifenwa.info app. If you want to consult with that later, all of these notes are in there for you and your life group. But 2 Corinthians 5.10 speaks about what happens after we die. It says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. This is talking about what happens after we leave this place. We're going to stand before the Lord. We're going to talk about that through this series. What does that mean? We're going to be judged for these things. So I would say... Far more important than what happens exactly the moment you die. It's what you choose to do while you are still alive. Because that's what sets things in motion for the afterlife. It says in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27, Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. Something comes next is what I'm trying to tell you. Our world is so caught up in the afterlife that in so many ways they have completely missed the boat on how to live their life and why we live our life a certain way right now. We're going to talk about that. Jesus speaks in Matthew chapter 10 verse 28. Powerful text. He says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one, capital O, one, God, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, this verse doesn't speak about the details of the afterlife per se, but Jesus is clearly affirming in this passage that there are two parts of each one of us. There is a physical body that will eventually die, and then there is a soul. 
Our bodies are short-lived, but our souls last forever. And Jesus is acknowledging this truth. Don't be afraid of those that can kill this. This is going to die anyway. Be concerned about your soul. Be concerned about your heavenly Father, who is the ultimate decision maker about your soul. In Luke chapter 16, verse 19 through 31, Jesus tells a parable about a rich man and a poor man named Lazarus. Both of them, their bodies died, but their souls lived on. The rich man's soul went on to a place called Hades, or some associate that with hell. But the Lazarus went on to paradise, or people would reference heaven. And we're going to talk about this parable in this series. It's a pretty significant parable of Jesus. It teaches us some things. But it also, it's another one of those texts that identifies that, that our bodies will die, but our souls will live on. We looked at this text last week. Jesus was hanging on the cross. And you remember the thief that was next to him? They had this conversation. And you remember in Luke 23, verse 42, the, the, the criminal looked at Jesus and he said, please remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him by saying what? I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. They died a couple hours after that. Today, you're going to be with me somewhere else. There's a reality that we must confront. The body will die. The soul lives on forever. Shortly after Jesus has this conversation with this thief, Jesus says this. It says in a loud voice, this is Luke 23, 46. Jesus cried out, Father, into your hands I commit my my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. That body stayed on the cross, but Jesus' spirit left. His soul went on. Stephen, we talked about him a minute ago, about the Christian who was stoned to death in Acts 7. And in verse 59, in the midst of being stoned, being, being just killed and pelted with rocks, he said, it says this in 759, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my, my spirit. Like Stephen had this knowledge, this body is about to go out. Lord, receive what's coming. My spirit lives on. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21 through 24. This is Paul talking about this life and the next. He says this, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You heard this verse before? To live is Christ, to die is gain. How many people do you know talk about dying as being gaining? This is what he meant by it. If I'm going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? Paul's struggling with his conflict. He says, I don't know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. I grew up on Roadrunner cartoons, did you? Wile E. Coyote, Roadrunner. I don't even know how many of those cartoons ended with Wile E. the Coyote getting smashed by a truck, run over, falls off a cliff. And how many times did you see the dead... I don't think they can make these, these cartoons anymore. But the dead coyote, spirit lifting out of his body. You remember that? 
I don't know if it's going to be just like that. But I do know that our bodies will die and our spirit will live on. So there are questions that come with that. Like, well, where exactly do our spirits go to? Are the righteous immediately taken to be with God? Are the unrighteous immediately cast into hell? What ha- We're going to get into that. The Bible speaks to that. You've got to come back. I'm not going to give it all to you tonight. You've got to come back. But we're going to talk about that. But as we set forth on this journey together, I, I want you to remember something. We were made to exist forever. Are you kind of catching my drift? Whether you in, where you end up when you die, that is completely up to you. The Lord has already paved the way for eternity with Him. You can go there if you want to. Where you spend eternity is up to you. But in the view of eternity, time is not on your side. I want to end with this story. It's probably one of my all-time favorite stories. You've probably heard me share it before. If you've been to a funeral that I've done here of a Christian who has passed away, you've probably heard me share this story. It's like my favorite all-time Christian funeral story. Stories about a woman who finds out that she has a terminal illness and only a few months to live. And so the doctor said, you really need to get your things in order now. And so she contacted her pastor and she had him come to the house to discuss the aspects of her final wishes and how she wanted the funeral to go and all of those things. And after they had discussed this for a while and they had mapped out her funeral service and she said very excitedly to her pastor, she said, there's just one more thing and this is so important, pastor. I don't want you to forget this and I don't want you to miss this detail. You've got to promise me. And the pastor said, I promise, what is it? She said, I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. Have you heard this? I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. And the pastor looked at her with a confused look on his face. And she knows that she confused him. And she said, "Uh, that surprises you, doesn't it? I would make such a request. And he said, yes, it it actually does. And she goes, well, let me tell you why. She said, I've been attending church socials and potluck dinners all my life. And I always remember that when the main course dishes were being cleared, someone would lean over to me and said, keep your fork. (laughs) And I always knew what was meant by that, she said to the pastor. It meant that something really wonderful was coming, like chocolatey velvet cake or deep dish apple pie, something wonderful, something with substance. So pastor, when I'm laying there in that casket and you're standing at the head of that casket and people are filing by and they see that fork in my right hand and they look at you and they will, And they'll say, what's with the fork? That's when I want you to tell them that you need to keep your fork because the best is yet to come. 